Hey, welcome back to the Edge of Innovation right here on Disruptive AF. It is so good to be with you guys as once again, myself, Trigger Jordan and Dan Holter talk through hey, the honest up? truth. What's up, Dan? What's up? The, the honest truth of where we're at in the innovation uh, environment, the ecosystem. And listen, there's no conversations we hide from because we just need honest truth of what's going on. And that's what I love about. That's what I love about this, Dan. Honestly, this is like, yeah, no, this is like the highlight of my week. I can finally kind of kick back and have honest conversations, which is the opposite of what you'd think from like an official podcast. But I, <laughs> that's the mistake that AFWorks made inviting me on, I guess. <laughs> oh, yeah, they didn't negotiate the contracts yet. So I guess uh, technically we're day by day. So it could totally change after today. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> yeah. Episode 14, maybe the last. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> I uh, mean, I hope not. Well, dude, this uh, today we have a truly a super special guest and just topic, a uh, topic area that I couldn't be more excited to talk about this week. We got Sherrod Overby, who is, is in the Air Force Personnel Center Innovation Office. Uh, and not only that, but man, he brings the experience of, of being a, an enlisted entrepreneur, of having been in the Spark Tank a competition this last year, of having work, worked on or working on AFPC's robotic process automation journey. I mean, it's awesome to welcome uh, welcome you to the show because you got so much to offer. Welcome to Disruptive AF. Thanks for having me, man. It's uh, I'm definitely looking forward to it. I couldn't do it last week, and I was kind of bummed out by that. So I'm glad to be back. Yeah, no, it's awesome to have you, man. Well, first, we like to start off with a little bit of, about your background. So you're in AF AFPC, you've been in the Air Force for a while, uh, and then you got into the kind of this innovation space. So tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and kind of what you got into, what launched you into this innovation mindset and this ecosystem. Oh, yeah. Um, well, I've been in the Air Force about 13 years, been a, a personnelist my whole career, and um, I've always been, had a problem with the status quo. Yeah. And I've been pretty outspoken about like things are dumb, you know, things like that. And it hasn't really gotten me, I would say, too far <laughs> at first. <laughs> Didn't always go. But uh, when I got to FPC, um, we have a lot of processes there that, you know, that are, are pretty um, high vis and manual and repetitive. And uh, one day, uh, me and this captain I was working for, his name is Captain Daniel Wright. He was like really in super smart dude um got to talking about some of these stupid processes and he was like well you know when i was at usaa doing the ed education with industry program we saw a lot of rpa you know doing this and that and i feel like we could do that um in the air force and i was like all right yeah that's true but i don't know if they would allow us to do that you know so he was so, like, so what's what's rpa real quick robotic process automation okay okay yeah so it's just basically like a, um a bot or a script that can do the things that a person normally does on a computer and do it for them. Like whether it's typing clicks or running through a whole process, it's, it's pretty amazing actually. It's pretty powerful technology. Wow. Wow. Yeah. USA, that's that's but, funny because that's one of the things I, I really uh, I really appreciate about, uh, not that I am <laughs> have them or not have them, but some of these companies who use these systems that make it super easy. For example, as a crazy story, as involved in a hit and run last week, I, I didn't, hit nor run i i got hit and run from <laughs> but, but the insurance we're recording this right super, now yeah no, no 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 i filed the police report don't kid yourself um but <laughs> the, the, but the process of filing the insurance was so easy because mm -hmm. of these process like it was like three minutes and the whole thing was done and i think back yeah. 10 years ago and it was like days before you heard back and then you try to get in and you it wasn't going to be you know it was going to be a week before you got in the truck is yeah. in and back fixed this happened literally last week it's wild 
due in part, I think, to these processes you're talking about from, from industry of what they offer. So what did you do next step with that? Uh, well, he and I were, you know, talking about it and he basically said, hey, so if I was able to, you know, get you this technology on your laptop, do you think you could automate something? And I was like, uh, sure, you know, and uh, yeah. for sure, he, he was able to get a license and get it downloaded onto my laptop and he put it on me. He was like, all right, let's come up with a process to automate. And, I, and we came up with one and he was like, all right, it's on your it's on your court. So, uh, yeah, we figured it out and I was able to uh, develop automation for a uh, personal uh, pr military change of stations order. So uh, that's a pretty important, you know, thing for us military members to go through is uh, moving bases. So um, once that got automated, we did a uh, proof of concept. And from there, like it, it blew up. That yeah, it kind of blew up a lot, right? Like what, <laughs> where, how'd you go from that to now you're winning the, the spark tank? Well, I didn't win, but <laughs> but um, you well, won in our hearts and minds. Yeah, yeah. we did up to our um to our A one, and he was like, "Wow, this is amazing!" Gave us some 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 money to uh, refine it, and then um after that, like everyone, I, you know, started coming out everywhere from like the Air Force. Hey, we want to see it. We want to see it. So I started just doing demos, like basically all summer long last year. I I learned how to you know basically give these speeches and do demos of this, like basically maybe two or three times a week sometimes. And then, um, you know, the uh, spark tank thing popped up and Captain Wright, who's a major now, went deployed and I started and I, um, started working with another Captain Monaghan, who's also a major now, so I'm gonna say Major Monaghan. Um, and she was like, hey, you should, you should um, submit yourself for the spark tank, for the spark tank. And I'm like, eh, nah, I don't want to. And she was like, no, you are. And I was like, no, I'm not. <laughs> and she was like, come on, dude, you really deserve it. And I was like, eh, you know, I don't really like all that attention. And, you know, she she submitted me anyway. <laughs> yeah. She's like, we're going to do this video for our submission and stuff, which I really appreciate her pushing me because I am kind of a low-key guy. But um, she really appreciates me, and I appreciate the way she pushed me. And she submitted me. We made this video with our PA office. Um, it ended up being a really awesome experience. And... Um, I think the power of the technology and being able to convey its capabilities really like um, got, got people to latch on to the idea of like, hey, we need this and we like this. So I think that's how it blew up even more. Yeah. So one really interesting thing about this is that like everything you've described about uh, the the impact of this RPA technology has has mostly just to do with communicating its capability, starting right. with that partnering with industry and then to your giving briefings on its capability to other people and then on to this impact of the, you know, the uh, AFWERX, the Spark Tank uh, event really like the the primary function that's being served here is just communicating that it exists and what it can do for sure for sure if you can um like for me um i'm not a tech savvy guy i don't think like tech isn't really my interest personally but uh i, I might have some kind of you know natural skill towards it but it's not like a hobby or mine or anything but once i was able to really understand and, and grasp the concept RPA and then apply it, it became easier for me to communicate it on a, a tactical military level to people to which they understood it. Because at first, when you talk about it, people are like, dude, what in the heck are you talking about? Like, what does that have to do with the Air Force? Yeah. But once I started, you know, 
learning technology and you know partnering with the software company UiPath, they were they have a really good customer uh, experience, and I was able to you know text or talk to the engineers and stuff and learn so much that they were able to basically dumb it down for me so I could you know speak laterally to my people about it. And really, Daniel's right. Um, if you learn your if you learn your technology and you're able to communicate it, that just bridges the gap for that. Well, and also, yeah. And another interesting thing about this and something that I've been exploring myself for a long time is the idea of, uh, and I'm not sure if the UiPath, the RPA stuff fits into this category, but it's, is it a low code, no code type of software solution? Yes. Um, it's pretty low code. Okay, yeah, because I, I feel like that, like, knowledge of those technologies is still really, like, it hasn't spread far and wide in the government space. Yeah, we still think that. of, like... Explain that, Dan. Explain yeah, that so low-code, no-code. Low-code, no-code really means, like, kind of like Sherrod said, he's not a coder himself. He's not, like, a... He didn't he, he didn't have a technical background. He didn't yeah. he didn't go to a bunch of coding classes and get all of this background that you would normally need to be able to like program your own software solutions, yeah. right? Uh, yeah. Which is what we tend to think of when we think, oh, you're going to program a solution for something on a computer. You need to you need to know like some you, you need to know some computer language, right? You need to know Python, JavaScript, whatever. You need yeah. to be able to to have some understanding of the the back end as well, right? Like, what is this? Like, how is this uh, hosted? And you know, all of that stuff. Right now, there are these technologies that exist, and and like, there are some good softwares out there that larger companies use, like Sales Salesforce. Um, yeah. SharePoint is kind of an example of this, but it's not not exactly because um, you still need a pretty in depth technical expertise to to do advanced things with SharePoint. But low code, no code. Um, is you get into like the plugins for SharePoint, which we don't tend to have access to in the Air Force. Um, those are rather than typing code, I'm like using a graphic interface to to like I, like it's understandable what I'm looking at. I'm dragging visually blocks from here to there, or it's in such plain language that it doesn't take that long to get spun up to start doing some pretty complex automation. And that's my understanding of what RPA kind of facilitates. Yeah, for sure. So one of the things I've heard heard people mention as well, it was the first time I've heard that heard it put like that of the low code or no code, but it's almost like interface development. And not in the sense of you're developing the interface, but you get to pick and choose what it is that you like. And, and the system on the back end is already designed to be able to link together however you want to. And it makes it super easy. Like, for example, building a website. I know this is super simplistic, but you know, there's so many different website interfaces where you don't have to be a coder at all. You just say, I want this box, I want it this color, and I want it in this location. And it does all yep. the code on the back end for it. And, and the beauty is, and this is the importance, I think, as we launch and continue launching a culture of innovation in the ecosystem, is realizing that, that exactly what you said, if we're not taking the time to learn the competencies or the capabilities that exist out there and understand how we can utilize these in our own areas, we will can we will just we will remain behind. We'll constantly be behind. And it takes that intentional learning uh, of diving into these companies and finding out learning. And you know the SBIR process, uh, as we talked about before in AppWorks, and you know just overall is a great process to be able to help people get connected. But there's this other piece, Dan, that's really important of the individual 
uh, individual research, of learning what it is that is possible. Because it's one thing to have a company tell you that it's possible, but it's another thing to be able to look at their technology or look at their example and their use case and see your problem and say, you know what, Like, I think we could connect these dots, but it hasn't been done this way before. And I'll use an example. There's a company I can't I'm not going to can't mention their name, but there's a company where we have this specific need uh, to be able to compare the difference of actual barometric altitude pressure in an aircraft versus GPS altitude, because those are two different things. And we were being forced to use GPS altitude, um, which is a problem because they're, they're different when you get to higher altitudes as opposed to the barometric pressure corrected altitude. And it was by knowing and understanding their technology, we were actually able to offer, hey, why don't you just do this, this, this? And they're like, well, how would we do that? And they're like, well, you just create a manual function that we can input the altimeter setting. And, and they were like, oh, my gosh, we had no idea. So we were by, by understanding their end and by understanding our need, you're able to create a solution that literally fits exactly what you need. But if you don't have these people like you, yourself, and Dan, and, and Jordan, and you, these other people in this innovation ecosystem that are doing this and being that bridge, then you miss out on the capability. You miss out on the ability to create those solutions. It takes this investment. Yeah, absolutely. And a key piece of that, in my experience, and I don't know how much experience you have with this, Sherrod, but your your willingness to just dive into that kind of reveals to me what kind of person you are. Also, the fact that you introduced yourself with, you know, that you've been kind of pushing against the status quo for your entire career with yeah. limited success prior to the uh, to the RPA experience. Um, but you need a certain type of person who is just kind of eager to try things. You need a kind of person who's like willing to it. And I, in my personal experience, you, you talk about building websites. One of my favorite things to do is build like uh, to build prototypes using like two platforms, Google sites and Airtable. Google sites and Airtable are no code like databasing and website building things that can basically fit into each other. And I can prototype a solution that's like, it's got an entry form, it'll sort some of the entries for you, and I can display it any number of ways on a website. And if I can, and I can do that without having a lick of knowledge about code. I like refuse to learn computer code because I think that low code, no code is the future. And we need to be focusing more on making, yeah. uh, making this complexity accessible to people without those technical competencies yeah. so that they can tinker <laughs> and create and just try out weird new solutions. When you said it's the future, uh, I know we were joking about Oregon Trail last time, but I was explaining to my daughter how you used to have to pull up a game like on C prompt. Yeah. You put in the drive and you type in C prompt <laughs> yeah. and then the run script or whatever. Yeah, and sure. she yeah. was like, what? And I had to get out a whiteboard and pull up a YouTube video and be like, no, this is how you used to do it. And she was like, what are you talking about? So where did you click the app? I was like, there's no clicking of apps. What are you talking about? But I agree with you, man, that we can get so ingrained. And, you know, there's so many books we've talked about of, of companies that have done a really good job with adapting and seeing the future and making their way into it and other organizations that didn't and they stuck with it and because of that they uh, are as as uh, previous general class used to say they their existence lay on the trash heap of history because they failed to adapt they did not continue growing and really our future our ability uh, to be able to expand and continue to grow rests in exactly what you're talking about in in not wasting our time in current solutions that work in this moment, but looking forward and saying, where do we need to go and how do we need to continue developing? What does that look like? There's one other thing I wanted to mention real quick is, you know, you mentioned the kind of the mentality 
Um, and I don't, Dan, I don't know if you've seen this, uh, but I think we've mentioned it before that uh, when this whole innovation kind of movement where it, it, it went from being a dirty word to, okay, maybe there's something to it that, uh, it, that it, what innovation is, is that the people who are really invested into it were people who were okay with kind of just bucking the normal, <laughs> bucking the standard. And for a while, I don't know if this is your experience, but for a while when I stepped into this, we were a bit of an outcast, to be honest. People are like, what are you doing, man? Like, yeah. this is going to ruin your career. This is going to destroy you. Like, you need, to, you need to stick with what it is. But I've actually seen a transition of going from a place of, of being the outcast to being a place of uh, people look to you and they say, hey, do you have any input on this? Do you have any? Yeah. Sherrod, have you seen that? Have you seen that in kind of your own life have you, as you've been doing these briefs and you've been stepping out and doing this more? Do you have more people coming to you saying, hey, man, what do you think about this? Oh, yeah, for sure. I have so many emails and <laughs> that I can't even, you know, I usually tell them to, first of all, like, if you really believe in it, go for it. Um, yeah. And to really make these things happen, you have to um, not be afraid of failure. And, you know, um, I think like what Daniel was saying, like you go against the norm and you got to just go out there and get it. One part of being an innovator is I think is, you know, not fearing failure or at least fear failure less than you um, welcome success. You know, like I'm a parent. So like once I became a parent, like failing at anything else in life, it was really not that big of a deal. You know, I can, I'm, I've been messing up my whole life anyway. So, yeah. you know. Like if I'm if I don't do right at this if I if I don't get it go off what's gonna happen nothing right so yeah like just keep trying and don't um I never don't stop at the first no for sure when it comes to ideas um you know um and that's why I tell them because a lot of people have great ideas and a lot of people don't know about you know the SBIR um process or that like they have a they have a, a problem and they're like well I wish. We could use that technology I see out there when I used to work at Verizon. You know, yeah, yeah. maybe you can. You just gotta yeah. find a way to get that technology to where you're at now. And so that's a big disconnect. Is a lot of people who aren't in this um, innovation sphere don't know the possibilities and don't know the tools and the connections that are truly available to the Air Force members to actually bring in technology and bring in other companies and to like actually execute these ideas with their, they really, we really think that what we have here is what we're, we're ever going to have unless Boeing or some giant company, you know, you know, bids a billion dollars to change it. And that's not, yeah. always, that's not true at all. Yeah. I think that something you said there, which is really interesting. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, since being a little bit more, visible as like an innovation type with maybe even some successes under my belt. I've had a similar experience where people are like, oh, that guy, you know, he like succeeds at innovation, which it, something you said, you know, I think is really revealing. It's you said you refer them to kind of no do like do this yourself. It's not it's not about me. There's nothing special about me, the guy who succeeded, that's like a survivorship bias, right? I think that that's just seeing some people who succeeded and thinking that there's something not, I'm not saying there's not something unique about you, Sherrod. I think that you're an incredible guy, but um, <laughs> it's not, it's Jeez, not something. Dan, we're supposed to keep the guests here. No, I'm just kidding. I know, right? It's, uh, <laughs> it's, not, it's not necessarily that there's something specific about you that made you successful, except what you did, which is yeah. tried, tried things. And so yeah, yeah. 
it's not, if somebody wants to succeed, it's not necessarily about bringing Sherrod into their team. It's not necessarily about bringing Kinsley in or Jordan or me in as the, as the person who has succeeded with like, they've got like the magic bullet. It's about figuring out what activity, like what behaviors they had, what attitude they had, what mindset they had and doing that yourself. And I think that that's a really important point to convey. The successful innovators are not necessarily that there's something intrinsically different about them, that they're like intrinsically more capable of this, but they kept trying, they kept trying Mm -hmm. different things and there were probably a significant, I don't know if, if you had this experience, Sherrod, but my, uh, my, you know, I encounter significantly more failures than I do successes. And oh, yeah. the only reason I have successes is because I knew when to give up and start the next thing. Right. And um, I think um, like even with our EPRs or even trying to find a person who's willing to try so hard, when you, when you look at a person's accomplishments, Nowhere under there that has like a little sub photo that shows how many times they failed to be able to do yeah, it. Yeah. Right, that one time, you know? And I, I like I, that. I, um, Michael Jordan, I think I was reading something about Michael Jordan where someone said he goes out and practices like a certain particular like shot thousands of times. And then, you know, he, mm-hmm. he, he, he goes into a game, he's clutch and he makes that shot that one time. But imagine how many times he's missed that in practice first, you know? And he yeah. never stopped from or a particular maneuver, anything you do, like yeah. at one time we make it doesn't really show all the hard work and failures that we had to, you know, persevere just to get to that one success. And it's really just about trying. Like, if yeah, you, you just gotta not. You you said something that really stood out to me that I guess I've kind of started realizing more and more. Uh, just as we talk to people in this innovation ecosystem and just network and. Every, everything involved in this process thinking that's some of the things I love about you know design thinking that Dan has mentioned before um, of just encouraging people to think differently because it's not necessarily that we have a different gift set it's that we're willing to think differently and to be able to apply that but one of the things that I, that really stands out to me is the process the importance of the process that so many times we get so goal oriented and goal focused but once you reach that goal and the success the thing that we value most of the time has been the process and the experiences of getting there not actually the end result and that to me i've i guess i've kind of re started recaging what my what my view of success looks like that it's not reaching the end of the product uh, the end of the project or reaching the goal or what necessarily it is that is truly valuing not only the relationships the knowledge the experiences the failures all of that along the way because it's not the goal it's not the end thing like you said that ends up on the epr or the opr that is the success it's all of those lessons learned in the middle ground, all of those failures, all of those trials, all of those frustrations, all those moments where you're like, I just want to quit. And then you're like, yeah, I can't quit. And you hunker down and do it again. All of that is what takes you to the next level. It is not the award. <laughs> it is not the, the, you know, the line on the bullet. It's the foundations that have been laid for the days and weeks and months and efforts laid before. And that's the part that I guess is maybe the most sad to me is that a lot of people fail right before they get that major break or a lot of people stop right before they get that major breakthrough they stop right. when they would they've laid the foundation everything is set for that next step of success and they quit yeah well because, a lot of, um don't keep their goals abstract like me i don't have any solid like still goals where like if i don't make this then like all else is a failure like i keep my goals kind of abstract where like this is kind of where i want to be and like on my way there, like 
you know what? I've discovered this, and I kind of want to move that goal to the left a little bit and go yeah. a different way about it. And a lot of people are hard set. And the military honestly teaches us to be pretty hard set on the mission. And it's a mission that's already stated. And we're yeah. on our way through this mission. All those lessons learned, we don't really veer anywhere off of that. So it's like, this is how we did it. This is how it was accomplished last time. And it's not really like, um, I don't know how to say this. It really doesn't mean anything in today's uh, world where things develop and change so fast. Yeah. Where if you you stick to one thing and the one way to do it and one goal, you're you're going to be behind. You you got to be able to like be able to be fluid, be like yeah. water. Bruce Lee says. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. It also speaks to the importance of having a portfolio of pursuits. Like I, I think that uh, a lot of times people overinvest in a single thing. And if you don't have like a, a good kind of portfolio of things that I'm experimenting with, uh, avenues that, and it's like in, in design thinking or in, in any of these discovery and, and like development practices that, that take this complexity into account, you don't just try one thing. You try a number of things in parallel. You explore a number of avenues and see which one kind of reveals the value that you are intending to create. And I love that idea of keeping your goals abstract. That reminds me a lot of the, the intent uh, in, in design thing. We talk about moving from the abstract to the particular, which means that initially our goal really is to figure out what our goal is. Our goal is to define what the problem set is. And we don't come in with, oh, we're gonna achieve this specific metric. We go in with, we understand that there's probably a problem and we're gonna explore. And as we move through the process, we'll get more and more specific, but we definitely can't start out with an idea of uh, any kind of you know numerical representation of like what, what we're going to be achieving at the end of this process. It's, it's all about discovery. It's all about the journey. For sure. Yeah, man, this, this is a perfect time uh, to be able to take our break uh, in a second right here because we want to dive into kind of the, the culture which we'd mentioned before, uh, even before we started this spot, uh, this specific episode about the kind of the different dynamics of the innovation cultures, whether between enlisted and officer and just the environments as a whole. It's going to be awesome. But while you're here with us, make sure you subscribe right now to the Disruptive AF podcast because we would love to be able to encourage you and your friends to listen to the Edge of Innovation right here as the voice of innovation for AFWorks and the Air Force. So if you enjoy the show, make sure you would leave a review at Disruptive AF Podcast on Apple Podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure you hit the subscribe button and the bell, and we'll meet you right back here on Disruptive AF. Airmen Powered by Innovation runs an idea sharing and problem curation platform to help organizations run campaigns and solve challenges regarding their mission. Explore topics like the Vice Chief's Challenge Saving Airmen Time and COVID-19 teleworking best practices to get involved. Create an account or learn more at us.af.ideascalegov.com. Hey, welcome back to Disruptive AF, your favorite podcast about Air Force and defense innovation. I'm here with my good friend, Trigger Jordan. What and we're talking to Sherrod Overbay um, at AFPC, 
who was uh, one of the recent you know nominees or uh, in the competition for Spark Tank 2020 uh, with his RPA uh, remote process robotic process automation. Um, yeah. We had some really good conversations before the break, um, and one thing that really stood out to me is like any innovator in the Air Force with you know more than five years under your belt, you've had you know, your share of successes and failures. And I'm sort of curious, we, you know, we have some, some unit level and maybe wing level, uh, probably higher level leadership, listen to our podcast. Can you talk a little bit to the, to the experience of being supported versus, you know, maybe not so supported? What was it that enabled you uh, from the perspective of your immediate and then maybe distant leadership that kind of gave you that space to try and fail and then try and ultimately succeed? If you could talk to that a little bit, I think it could be helpful for some of our listeners. Um, well, I'm gonna start off with uh, the most recent success, this RPA stuff. Um, what helped was definitely having, you know, a, uh, a officer CGO, CGO who's able to speak the technology and you know get to certain um, tiers of leadership and get in their ear better than you know as enlisted you can. Because let's be honest, um, when a, a NCO brings up something to like let's say you know. Uh, a general grade officer that, eh, you know, they don't always want to listen, but sometimes when an officer speaks, they're like, oh, okay, it must be something, you know? And I, that's one of just the fallacies of being in the military and ranking, you know, structured, but um, having, you know, um, Major Wright able to really, actually, he he's like a pit bull, man. He just, he, he kind of just latched on and didn't let go. I'm pretty sure he kind of like annoyed some people and, and made some people mad, but he, he believed in it. I believe in it. And he's willing to bet on us and me for uh, us to go through, go with it. And in reality, um, he pretty much showed that the price of failing isn't that significant, but the price of, uh, but the, you know, potential of success could be so huge. He's able to yeah. convey and, and really just not leave people alone about it. And just having that leadership and having that backup really motivated me to really want to like, not only do it, but to do it on his behalf. Cause he's out here fighting for me that I, not just for me, not just for the Air Force, but I want to make sure that, you know, everything he put into it is seen and like, you know, legitimize everything he fought for. And it yeah. was just really inspirational and, and it really helps out. And same with Major Monaghan, I, I don't like the, you know, accolades. I don't like the attention, but you know, she's like, no, it's important that people see you know, that you made a difference and this is not, you know, us personnels don't get a lot of like attention like this. We're, we're, when you go to NPF, usually your interaction with the personnels is like using negative. You don't want to go to NPF. You don't want to have to call them because usually it's because of a problem. So it's like, you know, showing that we are trying to help more than just like, no, you can't PCS here. No, you can't do this. You know, it's like getting that yeah. out there. And, you know, we're willing to innovate and, you know, that that's, that, I really appreciate her want to showcase us like that. So that leadership helps. Um, in regards to leadership that doesn't really um, enable or, you know, support you, that kind of sucks. I mean, I've, 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 I've grew up in the NPF and I've had some ideas where like I saw it and I'm just like, so, or, you know, I'm new to this section and they're teaching me and I'm like, so why do we do it like this? And, you know, you always say, well, this is how we've been yeah. doing it. I'm like, well, why don't you just, oh, you don't know because you're just, you just got here. What do you know? You yeah. Know? And I'm like, oh, 
Like, it looks dumb to me now. And then a year <laughs> later, that's yeah. and it still looks stupid. So, could I know. just like hit on that point really quick? The idea of not capitalizing on fresh eyes is oh, so man. stupid to me. And it's it the idea that you should be somewhere for a significant period of time before you might have ideas. So yeah. one of the one of the huge problems with that logic is that as we operate within an environment, we grow blind to the stupid things that we're doing. We yeah. like because we get accustomed to it and we 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 are losing our ability to imagine alternate realities. So when you have somebody who is new to a shop, they are ideally suited to question what you're doing. And if you're not taking advantage of that, if you're telling them to shut up and color until they've been here for a while, you are losing an opportunity to innovate on your processes because those fresh eyes, people who, you know, we just talked about earlier, people who were doing partner with industry, they all they did was they went to a, a new environment outside of their norm. They reprogrammed their conception of reality, right? They explored alternate universes they came back and what they brought was a fresh set of eyes and if you're if you have people coming into your shop and you're telling them to stop questioning your processes because they haven't been there long enough you are missing out on an opportunity to for for some pretty amazing you know like oh wait no we haven't been thinking about that why are we doing that that's stupid when you know when you mention that though it really <laughs> all of their why are they doing that I mean, what, what is the root cause of why those people, that, that leadership, whatever that is, why is it that they're doing it? It's because that's all they've known. That's the system that they were raised in. That's a system that taught them. That was, quote unquote, leadership to them. That's what it looked like to move forward and promote through the ranks. Um, hey, this is the system. This is how you win or and or lose in the system. And this is how you have to play to be able to continue on, the, on in this, this game or in your career. But the only way that it changes is until you have somebody stop and say, wait, why are we doing that? And And... And there's one of two ways I see it happening. One, if you're fortunate enough, like Shrad, to be able to have leaders and myself and, and other people who have had leaders who have done those three things that we talked about, invested in, into you, empowered you to do it, and released you to be able to just launch out and do these awesome things. Either you have a leader from the top down that says, yes, I believe in you, and this is what I want to see. And they set the tone of the culture. Or for a lot of people who don't have that leadership that believes in it, or they're too afraid to, to take that step out, it forces you to have to create that from a grassroots up. And in order to change a culture from the grassroots up, it means you have to find the early adopters. You got to find the people who believe in it and start making the change. And I, and I, I hate to talk about, uh, I hate to talk about the sense of you have to show, we have to create this culture, this root system underneath the ground. And if you want to change the culture somewhere where um, there's been this kind of attitude that nobody wants to get on board with it, it's just like weeds, man. If you have two weeds in your yard, you don't have two weeds. You have about 19 that are about to pop up and you have a problem. But you look at it at the positive side, that if you create this grassroots culture that everybody at the lower level is on board and you guys are moving forward in this innovation culture, this mindset, hey, we can make change. When you start making the change, soon leadership starts realizing, oh my gosh, like there's a, something to this. And the entire culture has changed around me. Like they have no choice but to adapt to the new way and the new movement of what is helping cultures and organizations to change and think differently. But really, that's that's really hard. This grassroots transformation is tough to do. It's tough to start from the ground up and to impact. I call it leading up. How do you lead up the chain of command? Um, and not to say all leaders are like that, but I think we've all had those challenges before. 
You got to become yeah. undeniable sometimes. You what? You have to become undeniable sometimes. Like, yeah. You know, you have that type of leadership who's not willing to support you, but you know, sometimes do it anyway. And the results are sometimes so undeniable that if they were to not go forward with this, and they, they, they themselves have failed. So. Yeah, you know, that actually reminds me a lot of the strategy that and I don't want to use this time too much to pitch my own venture. But what we're doing with Agitare is like I had this experience of I knew that these methods, these facilitated discovery methods had a lot of power, but I wasn't able to convince leadership at, you know, or at at any of my previous units. um, I wasn't able to really convince them to push this thing. So ultimately what we did was we started a community ourselves online. It's like, it, it's not affiliated with any unit. It's just kind of a group of people um, loosely affiliated with the Defense Entrepreneurs Forum. And we're seeing incredible success just like building each other up because we don't have that official structure to kind of facilitate what we need. We, we created our own community of people trying to push these facilitated discovery and design methods and we're seeing incredible success there. But that speaks to a lot to what like what Sharad's talking about with leaders who enabled and leaders who didn't enable is there is a there is an incredible threshold to surpass when you're like just enduring an environment to continue to push through failure. Yeah, there's a yeah. lot there's a heavy emotional toll there. Yeah. Um and my experience in the past has been when I didn't have that leadership and I also didn't have that community, I was not going to push hard enough. I I would push for a little while and I saw significantly more failure in my innovation attempts because I didn't have the emotional energy uh, to push through that threshold, which was, you know, and that's something that that leaders need to understand is that when they are acting as vocal advocates, it's not just the, enabling of you know the technical aspects of the solution you need to think about it also as you're enabling people emotionally to continue to push and that vocal out loud emotional support has a has an enormous impact on innovators on whether they're going to keep trying that because otherwise they'll just all right i've had i don't have the bandwidth to continue to face this failure over and over and over i need to you know do some self-care and kind of back off a little bit. I, <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, it's like a toxic relationship. Like once you realize that, like you're at the point where there's no support on the other half of the relationship, you yeah. either you know decide to push through it yourself and hopefully infect them with the positivity to create change, you know, or you get to a point where emotionally you're drained, and physically you're drained, and mentally you're drained to where you're going to be tired of this and therefore you're divorced from the idea of, you yeah. know, trying anymore. So it's, yeah. it's kind of like that. Yeah. You know, there, there were several things that happened <laughs> um, because a leader said something because they voiced it. Uh, there was several, there were several projects that we were working on um, that, that previously general class was the ATC commander uh, before general web took over and general webs done an amazing job as well. Um, and when General Quas said some of these things, you would think as much as we talked about and referred to his guidance that somehow like we had a direct line to be able to call this guy up and be like, oh, hey, General Quas, let's go down. But, but sim- by simply having him say those things and say those things from a command perspective of, listen, we have to have on-command and on-demand learning. We have to be able to enable our people to be able to have resources in their hand and we can't stop living in the past. 
when he said those things, it empowered us that when we had a project or an idea where we were able to say, well, I mean, the AATC commander said we should right here on this. I have the presentation. I heard him say yeah. it. You can also go to this website and, and see that he said it as well. I mean, it gives you the firepower to say uh, we are carrying out the desires. We are we are carrying out and we are in line with what the commander's intent is and what they, what they desire. And I don't think sometimes senior leaders realize the power that they have when they say those things. Those of us who are innovators, do we latch on to that? so much because they've said it and we it gives you an avenue to be able to move forward and to carry out those uh those mindsets yeah yeah and also like there's a um i've i've talked about this a little bit in the past the power of having a set of values to to pursue and this is a little bit we touched on it before is having abstract goals mm -hmm. um the core values are you know it, it's important for every organization to to like understand if i if I have this core set of values and I continue to hammer on them, the level of emotional support and also kind of like a piece of paper that they can show, like, no, I'm headed in the right direction. It's that abstract goal that they can, it'll also inform how they continue to readjust their efforts because yeah. you can see, um, and, and like a very specific exa example of this in the past for me was, when I was facing uh, issues with AETC and the EFMP process, what inspired my unit commander to ultimately intervene on my behalf was that the wing commander, every time he saw his, his unit commanders, he would say, stop doing stupid stuff to airmen. And this was like one of his core values, stop doing stupid stuff to airmen. And that was enough to give my unit commander this idea, oh, this thing is happening to one of my airmen. That's that's stupid. I am empowered, like I'm equipped just with that phrase to I have a case to make. Like we're not supposed to be doing this kind of thing to airmen. And and it sounds weird, but um when when those go away, when you have a when like somebody is like, oh, core values, they're not that important, the the absence is seriously felt. Like people don't have that abstract goal to continue to work towards. They kind of revert towards just technical mission oriented, like metrics. And, yeah. and there's no, there's no aspiration there when you don't have those abstract goals in place. Yeah, man, we, uh, I can't believe it. We've almost blasted through another whole episode. And like every time you get going, you find yourself at the end, you're like, Oh my gosh, where did it actually go? <laughs> we actually go yeah. well, how do we get here so fast um but man at the end we love to be able to give you a chance Shrod, to be able to to not only kind of give your your home run walk away of uh, what do you want people to know what do you want people to know about what it means to be not just i mean i don't even want to say enlisted innovator but what does it mean to be an innovator in the process you've walked through like what is it that you want to leave our listeners with uh, if there's some uh, just a word of encouragement you could give to them um in this mindset of just moving forward and doing really what you've done um, I would say that, you know, a lot of people have served 20 years in the Air Force and retired and not done much to enhance the Air Force itself, you know, as far as like culture wise or like processes, they've basically coasted through. And though, you know, they should be probably 20 years of service, but how much of their legacy left? But for people who truly innovate and are able to make actual change that affect people and I'll be clear that everyone affects someone positively and negatively, right? You know, but like where you can make that huge culture change with innovation, you're not only leaving like your own legacy, but you're setting up everyone behind you 
like to be able to progress even further and you know keep us either you know with our competitors or beyond our competitors so i think even if you know personally you don't have any value in it or personally you don't you know see that it can get you anywhere just sometimes it's just your legacy that you can leave that's sometimes the most important thing that's that's what i would say I'd like to just specifically thank you for joining us on the podcast today, because I, I think that there are people who see success as innovators, you know, kind of like you have and don't go out and pat and like, you know, spread that goodness. But you kind of discussing the things that enabled you and the things that didn't enable you before that, that is like the best, the best type of legacy to leave behind. It's not just necessarily the fact that you introduced the air force to this rba technology yeah. which is it like honestly i'm so in, like i'm so excited about it i saw this stuff like a decade ago and i was like that we need that so bad in the air force and i had no idea how we were going to get it done so it yeah. took someone right. like you but also that you're spreading the you know kind of what our mission here is enabling innovation not not just specific innovations but mm -hmm. what culturally, what in leadership, what in communication, what in storytelling enables that for other airmen? And that's that's like the best kind of legacy to leave, in my opinion. I think, I think that's my favorite part of innovation is not personally like performing something, but just being able to spread the goodness of it and yeah, you know, and just talk to everyone. Just if you can just you know empower people, is yeah, you know, it's crazy. Yeah. It's, rewarding it's yeah good stuff man Sherrod, it's been awesome having you on with us uh here today for those listeners who want to connect with Sherrod, make sure you hit up linkedin we'll have that in the uh, the show comments below also uh, you can also follow us along where uh we're at appworks multiple different locations again that'll be in the show notes as well but big shout out Sherrod. thanks so much for being with us here at disruptive af it has been awesome. Thanks so much for what you do, not only making the Air Force better, just overall in innovation, but being that staple of, of progressive development in AFPC. <laughs> it was awesome. Awesome to hear you talk about it, man. Dude, thank you so much. Dan, it's been great being with you once again. Amazing. Always a good time. Always amazing. Hey, before we get out of here, make sure you like and subscribe. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure you hit the bell so you can get updates for more great content right here at Disruptive AF at your edge of innovation. And we will catch you right back here next week to bring you what is new in innovation and the honest conversations that, well, let's be honest, you love them. We'll see you next time right here on Disruptive AF.